Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. As Amy said, we are in a series, actually wrapping it up today, called All New, All True. And we've been looking at the fact that thanks to Jesus and his resurrection, he gives us new life as we say yes to him. And we've been looking each week at the various aspects of that new life. And today we conclude with new future and true purpose. But before I dive in, I want to say a huge thank you to Amy Christman, our Next Gen Kids Minister, for delivering the word last week in such a clear and powerful way. Were you here last week? Dear that? Yeah, she deserves, it was just a wonderful morning. She did a fantastic job. If you see her, I hope you say so. Um, and it really was a great, uh, great sermon, and I appreciate that. I want to thank her for that. But today we're going to be looking at a series of stories, interconnected scenes in the scriptures uh, that have to do with Jesus and a guy named Simon Peter. It's one of my favorite series of stories, and I'm really excited to, to, to share it with everyone this morning. So whether you're here with me in the room or you're with us online, are you ready? Yeah. All right. Jesus sharing his mission with Simon Peter is easily one of the greatest, most moving, most poignant and personal conversations about future and purpose, the subject of our sermon this morning. Really one of the best conversations ever about that. It has a lot to show us. We see ourselves in it, and we find it in John chapter 21. So in the beginning part of this scene, we would, uh, I would call this Peter goes from mission to fishing. That's what happens here in this scene. In verse 1, we read that Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It talks about how the, some of the disciples were hanging around together. Among them was Simon Peter. Verse 3, Simon Peter says, I'm going out to fish. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So they've been out all night. They've caught Nothing. At this moment, we see Peter. He's restless. Jesus has risen from the dead, but they're not sure. The disciples are not at all sure what's next. They're in this in-between. Anyone ever been in an in-between? Absolutely. They are in a huge in-between, like kind of the biggest in-between the world has ever known between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension and what's going to happen next. And in a sense, Peter has hung a sign on his heart that just says, gone fishing, Right? He's, he's kind of checked out a little bit here. He's not sure what to do. So what does he do? He goes back to what he used to do. And that's exactly what we can be tempted to do in an in-between. Go back to what we used to do. Go back to the person we used to be. But if you drift from Jesus, go back to your old ways. Go off mission because you think that there's something better out there. You will, as Peter did and his companions, fish all night. Spend all kinds of uh, time and energy, maybe whole seasons of your life looking for something better, trying to find true mission, true purpose, and in the end, you will have caught nothing. In fact, when we improvise our purpose, we will catch nothing in the end. Certainly nothing of any consequence or worth. We'll pursue many, many things and in, in the end, come up empty. That's exactly what's happening for Peter and these disciples. They fish all night, they catch nothing. But before we progress in this scene here in John 21, 
There are a couple of flashbacks that we cannot help but go back and grab to make this scene, to just show how much this story, how important and pivotal it really is. So you can't read this account without reaching back to two others. Here's the first one, a flash, flashback number one. We read it in Luke chapter five. Now we're going to rewind the tape all the way back to the, Jesus' first meeting, Simon Peter. We read about this, Luke 5, one day it says Jesus was standing by the lake. People were crowding around him to listen to the word of God. And they were crowding him so much, he sees at the water's edge two boats. He gets into one of the boats, it says the one belonging to Simon, and he asks him to put out a little from shore. So Jesus kind of gets into the boat, lets everyone come right up to the shoreline, then he can teach everyone he doesn't get crowded out back into the water. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. In other words, let's go fishing. Simon answers, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. That's a tie-in right there. Empty nets, worked all night. But then Peter says, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, you might be familiar with the story that says they catch such a huge number of fish, their nets begin to break, the boats fill up, so much they begin to sink. When this miracle happens, Peter is a seasoned fisherman. He knows what's going on here. It's a miracle. He's fished all night, caught nothing. Now he can't contain the haul. At this moment, it says in verse 8, Simon Peter sees this. He falls at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. <clears throat> I am a sinful man. They were astonished, it says, at the catch of fish. But you can't help but think that Peter was astonished at something even more than that. He realized that there was a man of God in his boat, that this rabbi was more than just any other traveling rabbi. And he falls on his knees before Jesus. And he says, Lord, please get out of my boat. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. The swearing I've done in this boat, the jokes I've told or laughed at in this boat, I am rough around the edges, Lord, to say the least. The likes of you shouldn't be around the likes of me. Anyone ever feel that way? I know I have. Jesus will hear nothing of it. He says to Simon, verse 10, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Here's the next thing we see as we move through these stories. Jesus extends his call to people who can't handle it. Gee, Peter, Peter couldn't handle it. He was blown away, right? This is blowing all his definitions of, of what his life was going to be like. Here's this guy standing in his boat, miraculous catch of fish. He can't handle it. He's overwhelmed. His, his response to Jesus is honest. At every moment, moment when we watch Peter throughout our stories, let's just always, if we want to read ourselves into the story at all or try to learn, how does Jesus handle Peter? How does Peter, Peter react to Jesus? Watch Peter. He's always honest. And he's always just simply expressing exactly how he feels. And he just wants to obey Jesus. So even though he feels like, Jesus, get out of my boat, he also says, well, because you said so, I'll put down the nets. And now, because you say so, I will follow you. I, I find it hard to believe that you have this new purpose for me, because I'm, I'm, I'm saying, get out of my boat, and you're saying, stick with me. I've got a purpose for you. And I want you to hear that this morning. Jesus has a purpose for you. That as you say yes to him, he will give you good things to do and to become. In, the, in Peter's case, it was to become a fisher of people, so to speak. 
Now, let's go back to John 21. Now, we're back to our original scene, post-resurrection Jesus and Peter out fishing all night. It says, early that morning, right? They've been out all night, caught nothing. Early that morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him. They were too far away. He calls out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Okay, this is now, this rings a bell for them. And John, who's recording this for us, he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. There's a whole sermon just in that alone. But in verse 7, we pick it up. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. So they're in the boat. All these fish are coming in. They're 100 yards or so from shore, it says. He says to Peter, it's the Lord. They begin to realize who this is, right? They're putting two and two together. We're going to see him again. He'd only appeared to them twice so far and, and as, since the resurrection. Now this is the third time. It is the Lord. He wrapped, uh, Simon Peter heard the, him say this. He wraps his outer garment around him. He'd taken it off, jumps into the water. This is the same guy. Someone pointed this out to me between services. This is the same guy who started out his relationship with Jesus saying, get out of my boat. I'm not worthy. Now he's jumping out of his boat and beelining straight to the Savior that he loves so much. It is the Lord. He wraps his outer garment around him. He had taken it off. He jumps into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, kind of like, thanks a lot, Simon Peter, for all the help, right? They were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I can't imagine if he didn't have a little twinkle in his eye. Like, yeah, it's me. Ed. I got some breakfast for you, right? I know, what you, I know what kind of night you've had. Now, there's something happening here that's worth really checking out. This word here for burning coals in the original language only shows up twice in the New Testament. Once here. And again, or one, one other time earlier, in our second flashback. So let's, I'm going to take us to another scene now, back to Luke, but now in chapter 22. First flashback was Jesus meeting Peter, giving him a mission. Second flashback is now the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's in the upper room with the disciples and he's warning them, a time of testing is about to come. I'm about to be executed. It's going to get real dark. It's going to get real rough. And he's warning them all that, it, that they, they're going to fall away. Well, Peter doesn't know what to do with this. And now we listen in on an intimate conversation <clears throat> between Jesus and Simon Peter. Verse 31, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So he's saying, Simon, it is going to get rough. And you're going to make some decisions you're, that you're going to regret. But you're going to need to turn back. And when you do, you can strengthen those around you. But again, Peter doesn't know what to make of this. And he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. The authorities have been breathing down their necks all week. He knows it's about to get dangerous. And he's saying, if they send you to prison, I'll go to prison with you. If they send you to death, I'll die with you. Matthew has him also saying, if all fail, or if all fall away, pardon me, on account of you, I never will. Even if everyone else in this room, Lord, falls away, I never will. And he's saying this straight to the Lord himself. Jesus answers, I tell you, Peter, and I have to imagine, at least in the way I hear it, he's saying this with all patience, and compassion. I, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. 
When you had little kids, or maybe you still do, maybe you have kids right now, do you ever know they're going to fall before they know they're going to fall? Right? You watch them kind of, or grandkids, you, know, you watch them kind of stumble around, and you can see it happening before they do. You can see them falling off the coffee table, or you can see them hitting their head, or you can see it before they even know it's there. You're almost omniscient compared to that little toddler, right? You almost have this power to see what's about to happen. I can't help but think that Jesus is like that all the time with me, right? Oh, look at him again. He's about to fall. He's about to stumble. He's about to tumble. It's going to get rough here. Now, in the most serious of ways, this is exactly what Jesus is seeing for Peter. It's going to get hot and heavy here, Peter. It's going to get the, the, the heat of persecution. It's going to come on you and it's going to land on you. And I know you. It's not going to go well, but I'm praying for you and I'm with you. How earnestly Jesus must have longed for Peter to come out right in this time of testing. But I think it's worth noting here, he left Peter free to succeed or fail before God, before his peers, and as it turns out, before all of subsequent human history as we read about this today. He used no condemnation, he used no shame, not even wise words of advice, just prayer and encouragement. I'm with you. It's going to get rough, but I'm praying for you. He didn't use his supernatural power to instantly rewire Peter's mind and soul. Not that he couldn't have, but he knew better. See, Jesus is for us, but he doesn't just instantly fix us. Instead, he forms us. The trials we endure, the testing that comes our way, he uses those things to form us into the kind of people that we need to become. Dallas Willard put it like this when I was reading about this. He said, I would not, it would not have advanced Peter toward becoming the person he needed to be had Jesus done such a thing. Jesus gives him a heads up, says, I'm praying for you, and then lets things take place. This tells us a lot about how human lives work before God. Now, back to, uh, back to this scene a little bit later, Jesus is arrested. Verse 54, after seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, there's that word again, uh, about the fire, they had sat down together, and Peter sat down with them. So Jesus is arrested. He's in the house of the authorities. Peter, or at least in the courtyard, the porch area of the authorities, Peter is in that same courtyard. People are, are around. It's kind of a semi-public area. He's, he's at this fire with them, and this is what happens. It says a servant girl sees him seated there in the firelight. She looks at him closely and says, this man was with him, speaking of Jesus, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. He said, he's feeling the heat, he's feeling the pressure. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them, meaning the disciples of Jesus. Man, I'm not, Peter replied, it says. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. In verse 60, we read, man, Peter replied, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord, also somewhere there in that courtyard area, chained and waiting for his trial, so, to, so called, turned and looked straight at Peter. Their eyes meet. And Peter remembers the words that the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. What does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus will share his mission with people who will fail him, utterly fail him. Peter has lived up to none of his inspired pledges of devotion, and the gall of his failure leaves him choked with bitter tears. This is who Peter is. 
And this is who we are. But we're about to see who Jesus is. Now I'm going to take us back. Our, that was our second flashback. Now let's arrive back to our seaside breakfast with the risen Jesus. Obviously, there's a lot going on between Peter and Jesus. To say the least, there is an unresolved issue hanging in the air between them. You ever been there? An unresolved issue between you and another? And you're just not quite sure what to do, quite what to say. There's an awkwardness. Who's going to talk first? What are you going to even say? Maybe you're here today and you feel there's some unresolved stuff between you and Jesus. You're in the right place. Let's watch and listen how Jesus handles this. Back to John 21. When they had finished eating, so awkward breakfast is now done, right? Still, conversation hasn't gotten to this. Jesus turns to Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, he breaks the ice. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? That's kind of an odd question. We might think about it. What he's talking about is the other disciples. Do you love me more than these guys? Now, why would he ask this? Because this is not the general uh, MO. We're not to, it's not about my love being compared to your love for Jesus and vice versa. That, that kind of measure isn't the way it's supposed to work. So why would he ask this? Well, when you think about the context of that second flashback, it becomes more clear because that was one of the last times they had spoken one on one. And that's exactly what Peter had said, right? Remember, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I love you more, Jesus, than anyone else. Even if everyone else deserts you, man, I am with you to the end, no matter what it costs. That's how much I love you. My devotion runs deeper. And even if everyone else fails. So given that, Jesus turns and asks this question. And he's saying, Peter, I heard you then. I know your heart. And I see you now. Let's talk. I love Peter. I always feel like I kind of relate to Peter. Peter has a big heart. He feels things deeply. He loves wholeheartedly. He's honest about whatever he's feeling. And that's exactly how Peter has always been, it seems, with the Lord. But here's how Jesus handles him. Jesus doesn't bring up his failure. Man, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus, right? I don't mean he just kind of hung back in the shadows and tried not to get caught. Three times, man, I don't know what you're talking about. None of that resembles friendship, right? None of that resembles being the student of a rabbi. I mean, it is utter denial, major failure. Jesus doesn't want to talk about that. Jesus wants to talk about love, devotion, and relationship. And their bond, he wants to pick up where they left off in that upper room. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. It's time to turn back. Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Jesus is giving Peter his purpose back. Jesus is making it clear to Peter he's not lost one iota of that purpose and that God has plans for him. Feed my sheep, take care of them, take care of my lambs. Who are his lambs and sheep? Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will care about what I care about. See, immediately the answer is, do you love me? That's where it always starts with Jesus. It's not about will you obey me. It's always first about will you obey. Love me. Do you love me? All our obedience flows out of love. If it doesn't, it's dry religion and needs to be discarded. Do you love me? Yes, I've got something for you to do then. Our doing flows from our 
being, a relationship. That's all it takes. Not, are you qualified? Have you got everything right? Do you know all the answers? Do you love me? Yes. Okay. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Care about others. Care about what I care about. Jesus is talking about giving ourselves to the needs and nourishment of people. He was and is passionately committed to people. And he wants the same to be true of Peter. Christ didn't spend most of his time with people who had it all together or thought they did. He spent most of his time with the marginalized, the poor, the forgotten, the oppressed, the disadvantaged. He always walked toward the pain. Didn't avoid it. Hurting people are everywhere. They were then and they are now. And Jesus is always going to call us to think about others and be focused on how to show love to them. And let's face it, the level and variety of pain in our world is multiplying. People in need of help and encouragement and shared grief and advocacy and justice and aid and prayer and caring. The needs abound. Jesus has people on the planet to begin to address them. People in need of Jesus and all he can bring and all he says his people can bring. It can be easy for us to say, man, people just need Jesus. Well, I would encourage us all, look in the mirror and remember that, when that, when, that we're him for now. That that's the way he commissions us. He says, when you do it for the least of these, you've done it for me. And that when, I, when you're with them, you're, I'm with you. And that I, you are to be my body on this earth, hands, feet, hearts, eyes, ears. That for at least right now, Jesus commissions us to be his body. And Jesus leaned into the pain of others. Jesus leaned into the pain of others. Just last Sunday, a Chinese-American man with a hatred for Taiwanese people opened fire at a Taiwanese church in Irvine, California during an after-service luncheon. Of course, we all also know just the day before, 10 people were killed and three injured in a racially motivated mass shooting in Buffalo, at a Buffalo, New Jersey, Buffalo, New York grocery. Why do I mention that on a sermon about purpose? Well, for a few reasons. Number one, I can't help but feel strongly that we are the counter-formation to what's going on in our world. Let's talk about spiritual formation for a moment. There is a feeding and a forming happening in our society. It's on the rise. It's a formation, spiritual formation toward hate, toward division, toward bigotry, toward otherness, us versus them, toward some idea of supremacy that one can be uh, superior to another, all of it evil. All of it lies. And Christians are to be the counter formation to that of love and compassion. Jesus says that we're to be yeast that works through the whole batch of dough, quietly but consistently, in a way that you can't miss because you see the effect. That we're to be light that sheds, uh, that illuminates the darkness wherever we can. Christians are to be this counter formation. It won't be laws as necessary as those are. It can't be hashtags or documentaries or civil organizations or nonprofits as helpful as they can be. Only Jesus and his people can show the love and share the message that actually changes human hearts. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. I've got herding sheep 
out there. They're in pain. Feed them. Take care of them. Why do I bring this up? Second reason, we're called to care and care deeply. Jesus, I found at least, is always about expanding our hearts, our lives, our view and compassion of the world. That we shouldn't think of such things as some separate category of concern, political, societal, etc., you name it, which usually ends up translating into not my problem or not the church's concern. But don't politicize this. Don't fall for that. I recently heard Derwin Gray, a pastor I really admire, say this. Racial injustice, racism, and prejudice are sins that Jesus came to conquer. Just like sexual immorality and greed are sins. Let's stop moving them into a political box and put them in a spiritual box where they belong. I'm talking about grieving that there are people today who have every reason for trepidation and to feel that there's a target on their back. Because someone they've never met or hurt or crossed in any way, someone can decide, based on the demographics of their zip code, that their supermarket will make a good target. This should stop us and break our hearts. Pearl Young was 77. Spent every Saturday morning the same way, volunteering at a food pantry run by her church and then going to the grocery store afterward. Ruth Whitfield was 86, spent the day taking care of her husband at a nursing home where he resides before heading to the grocery. Andre McNeil was 53 at the supermarket to get a birthday cake for his son. Hayward Patterson, 67, often drove members of his church to that store, helping them load their groceries into his car before taking them home. Each of them and several others were ripped through by rounds of an 18-year-old's AR-15. See, we simply cannot become or allow ourselves to ever become, and I don't believe we are. I would not not say that about us, but I know that we can't ever allow ourselves to become desensitized to things like people attacked, terrorized, and shot while buying their groceries or having lunch after church precisely and premeditatedly because of the color of their skin or the country of their family of origin. Not a murder for personal revenge or desperate greed, as wrong and sad as those would be, but just because of hate. It's been said that the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. I'd say it's a close tie, and I want to be guilty of neither. As a preacher of the gospel of Jesus, and as your pastor, I believe it is my sacred duty to urge us all to be people of large hearts. Why do I bring this up? Third reason, it's a way we love each other. When we can acknowledge the pain of others and not ignore it or not whistle past it, it's a way we love each other. And to my brothers and sisters of color, let me say, we're here for you. I don't pretend to know, but I can't help but care. And we see you, and we're here with you. Do you love me? I hear Jesus ask, Lord, you know I do. Take care of my sheep. One other place we read that Jesus saw people. He said they were harassed and helpless, like sheep, without a shepherd, needing compassion, needing shepherding, needing feeding, needing forming, needing even protection, needing assistance, needing aid, needing help, needing companionship. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Jesus hasn't changed. Neither is his call or his heart. Jesus called to Peter 
and then to all of us, is always going to be driven by love and focus on others. This is our new purpose. This is Peter's purpose. This is our purpose. It's love. We can take it or we can leave it, but we can't change it. Love is the gig. Service is the rhythm. Humility and compassion are the tune. And with Jesus, it will get stuck in your head and in your heart. There's so much happening in this passage, and we're almost done, but there's just one other thing I want to observe. There are two words for for love here in the original language, agape and phileo. And this this also teaches us something about how Jesus meets us where we are. When these first two encounters, when we've heard the, the question and answer, Simon, son of John, Jesus says, do you agape me? Agape is the highest form of love. It's how God loves us. It's the love that we are all called to show as Christians. It is the most, it's the deepest, most forgiving, most gracious, most open kind of love. Phileo, brotherly love, like Philadelphia is based on the same Greek word, city, city of brotherly love. Phileo, brotherly love, perfectly great love, but not quite agape love, right? Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He would answer, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Peter was humbler now. He was making no claim to superior love. Those those claims that night in the upper room, he knows he didn't fulfill. He says, Lord, you know that I love you as two brothers love each other. But that agape, I'm not sure I'm there. I'm not sure I could say that out loud after how I failed. And so we read in verse 17, the third time Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? He meets Peter right where he is at that point. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? But he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love phileo you. It's as if Jesus is saying, you'll get there. You'll get there. And I think he says that to us a lot, to be honest. You'll get there. Just love me. Is it phileo? Is it agape? That's okay. Just love me, and you'll get there. Put one foot in front of the other. You'll get there. I'm not going to leave you. He's already said, I'm praying for you. I'm not going to forsake you. Our final point here is that Jesus works through people who love him. Again, not people who have all the answers, not people who've never failed or have everything just right, but simply people who love him. Peter here is every disciple. Peter here is you and me. And Jesus' answer to him and to us consistently throughout Scripture is the same. Fish for people. Strengthen your brothers and sisters. Feed my sheep. Do unto the least of these. Love your neighbors yourself. Go into all the world. Jesus will always say, do you love me? We say yes. He says, now love others. Whatever that looks like for you. I'm going to invite you to take your bread and cup this morning. As we conclude this time with Jesus And Peter, Jesus let Peter know something, not only his purpose, but the cost of that purpose. When we say yes to Jesus, it will cost us our lives, one way or another, and we will find it worth it. After this poignant conversation, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, he's talking to Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. What's he talking about? John tells us Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. He's talking about the fact that Peter would one day stretch out his arms in crucifixion. He would be dressed in a cross and taken to a place he would not choose for himself. And that is the kind of death indeed that Peter suffered. But then 
he says to Peter the same two words that he says at the very beginning, follow me. Peter said yes then. We know that Peter said yes again. Restored, full of purpose and love. And so as we take the bread this morning, let's just remember that that's that same Jesus who met Peter where he was and still gave him a purpose is the Jesus who interacts with you and with me, even in moments like this. The same Jesus who let his body be broken, that we could be forgiven. Let's thank him and take the bread together. And every time we take the cup, we're reminded of what love really is. Do you love me, Jesus asks? Love is self-sacrificial. Love serves others. Love's, love puts others first. Jesus has done that for us in a way that we can barely wrap our heads around. He gave his life, shed his blood on the cross for our sins. Let's take and drink and thank him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these really beautiful, poignant stories that tell us how you worked with Peter, how you met Peter, how you empowered Peter, how you were patient with Peter. Lord, help us to see that, that you're the same. You're the same with us. In all the different ways that we navigate our lives and take missteps and sometimes even fail, that you're with us. Lord, we declare today, we're with you. We're with you, too. Give us your heart for this world and all of its pain. Help us, Lord, to be led by you in your love. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.